This is low, isn't it? Let me just preach like that. That's about the right height. I'm a very tall person, you see, so uh, <laughs> it was too low. Hey, it's great to see you all uh, this morning. What a just a lovely time of worship, hey? Oh, you know, I was reminded, I've been, <clears throat> I walked the dog this morning. Uh, the dogs, thank you, my darling. Uh, we have two dogs. <clears throat> and Psalm 27 just kept coming to mind. Um, verse 4, one thing I desire of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days, to gaze on his beauty, to inquire in his temple. One thing I have desired of the Lord. You know, the, the psalmist said, one thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to dwell and gaze on your beauty. One thing I have desired of the Lord. What's your one thing? I reckon that's a good thing to, to desire. One thing I have desired of the Lord. I just can't move on from that. One thing I have desired of the Lord. One thing. There are so many things in this world that we could desire, but what's the one thing we want to desire? Him, his presence, being with him. For better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my Lord than dwell in the tent of the wicked. As deep cries unto deep at the sound of your waterfalls, so my heart cries out to you. For as the deer pants for the water brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. You know, can I, I know I'm supposed to be ending the love series. We'll get to that in a minute, whatever. <laughs> I just want to share this with you guys because, listen, this thing called Christianity is not a religious experience. It's not a set of rules. It's relationship with Jesus who first loved us. How do we respond to Jesus who died on the cross for us? One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I would dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I want to say to you this morning, if you've come here and you're new, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. Hope you're enjoying yourself. And maybe you've yet, and maybe you've been here for many times, you've yet to say yes to Jesus. There is an invitation for you that will change your eternal destiny. You see, what the psalmist, what David was saying, one thing I desire of the Lord, that what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. For what? Forever. You see, that is the promise. That is the promise of Jesus, that we would be with him forever. Why? Because nothing can separate us from the love of God. And I want to tell you this morning that there is an invitation for you to spend eternity with him. Nothing can comprehend how amazing that is going to be. You know, it's akin to when uh, a baby is in the womb for nine months. Can you imagine if three months in we said to the baby, hey, I've got some good news for you. It's amazing out there. You're gonna, it's, it's just a brand new experience. It's going to be, whatever. I can't even imagine that. This is perfect right now. There's some warmth and I get food whenever I want it, on-demand food. I get to hear things. And that is, we, it says in the scriptures, we see things dimly in this dispensation, this time. I want to encourage you to say something amazing awaits us. Yes, there is amazing things for us now, but one thing I desire of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is something that should get us. I said hope. Who needs a bit of hope this morning? I do, quite frankly. Well, Jesus is our blessed hope. And I want to start by ending the series by saying that the invitation is one of love. 
And if you haven't said yes to that invitation this morning, then it says in the scriptures, today is a day of salvation. Today is the day. I'd like us all to stand right now. Can you do that right now before the talk? Yeah, we can mix it up. It's fine. Don't worry. (laughs) I want us all to bow our heads now. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. All eyes closed and heads bowed. And I want to say this. If you want to say yes to that invitation of love this morning for the first time, then why don't you put your hand up right now where you are? No one can see you. I'm not going to invite you down and embarrass you. But Why don't you do that? If this is your first time to say yes to Jesus, why don't you put your hand up wherever you are so I can see you? Come, Lord Jesus. If you've yet to say yes to that invitation, then I want to invite you to do so this morning. Anyone want to put their hand up? Bless you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. And if you've responded, I want you to pray this prayer. We all want to pr- um, I'm going to pray it, and then you can pray it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I say yes to your invitation of love this morning. Thank you that you died for me on the cross that you are my saviour. Thank you that I get to spend eternity with you. Forgive me for my sins and cleanse me, I pray. And thank you for the promise of new life. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. You may all be seated. Thank you, Jesus. If that was you, please do come at the end of the service, my right, your left, and the team would love to pray with you. Thank you, Lord. Oh, bless you, Jesus. You know, I just love what the Lord is doing in this place. You know, the Lord is moving. You know, uh, I am just so grateful to God for all the new people that are here every week. Welcome. If you're new, do get a welcome pack. And we still maintain hundreds who watch us over the course of the week online. And I want to just say, the Lord is on the move, guys. There is something happening. You know, he's building his church in extraordinary ways, using ordinary people like you and me. You know that? And I'm excited because next year represents something fresh for us, something new. And the Lord is just speaking to me and speaking to many people's hearts. And I want you to say, get excited. You know, we've always been a church on the move. We've always been a church who have been struck by that vision of making Christ known. We've always been a church that we recognise we're here to make Christ known, to save souls. That doesn't change. And so I want to say God is moving and things are exciting. Thank you, Lord. Right, with that, I've gone and spent 10, 15 minutes not doing my talk, so I'm going to edit this as we go. My 20 pages. No, I'm just kidding. It's only a few. You're fine. What an amazing love series. I've been so grateful to God. We've had some amazing speakers, Emma Blustin, Chris Birch-Evans, John and Andrea Taylor Cummins. We've had Wendy. We've had uh, Trevor. We've had Jenna and Trevor and um, Mel as well. Have I missed anyone? And myself. And I just love that we have so many blessed men and women in this church who can just speak God's word and minister to us. And I'm so grateful to God. And I don't know about you, but I've loved hearing about love, how I can love God, how I can love myself and how I can love others. And um, where's my water? Can I have my water, please, darling? Thank you. And so what we're going to do by ending is actually end by looking at how we love our neighbour. 
And uh, can I just remind us of our anchor text for this series? It's been Matthew 22, 36 to 40. I'm going to quickly read it. Um, It'll come up on the screen in the room, and if you're online, it will come up there as well. Uh, Here we go. It says this. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, uh, asked him a question. This is Jesus, to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So if you want to sum up of what it means, there you go. There's the summary of what it means. And what I want to do then is look at love your neighbor. Now, I'll be honest with you. Whenever I hear the phrase love your neighbor, my mind instantly goes to these big events where someone organizes a picnic for like all of their neighbors or they go and knock on their neighbor's door and give... Um, food or or these kind of big things and they are wonderful but I'll be honest with you as an introvert don't laugh you always laugh when I say that I am an introvert it's true as an introvert there is something in me that kind of goes oh what do I have to and so whenever we talk about love your neighbor I feel like all the activists in the room and the extroverts go hey got some amazing plans and all the introverts go oh that's not really me is it I've got some nodding heads I'm glad I'm not the only one you know don't discount yourself. Loving your neighbor is not about whether you're an extrovert or an introvert. Loving your neighbor doesn't mean that you have to organize a picnic for all of your neighborhood. That is great, though, if you want to do that. <laughs> Loving your neighbor can be when you call someone and ask how they are. Loving your neighbor can be knocking on someone's door. Loving your neighbor can be praying for someone when they don't even know. Loving your neighbor can be writing a little verse and just putting it through their letterbox. Loving your neighbor can be a plethora of things. It isn't just the big things. And as I was praying about how I end this series and look at loving your neighbor, I could spend some time giving us, if you like, Mark's top 10 tips on loving your neighbor. You know, and that would have been fun, wouldn't it? We'd have enjoyed that. But actually, what I want to do is get to the heart of the matter and look at the heart of loving your neighbor. And in order to do that, we are going to uh, look at a very famous parable, the parable of the Good Samaritan. In fact, Trevor, you mentioned this a couple of weeks ago in your talk. You might know this if you're, you know, from school maybe, or you might read it to your kids. It's a very famous parable, isn't it? In fact, we have a whole charity organization called the Good Samaritans on the back of this. And so what I want to do as we're going to read this and look at it, and we're going to do a bit of a Bible study. Who wants for a Bible study? Yeah, great. So get your Bibles out or your iPads or your iPhones or whatever you got. And we're going to go through verse by, not verse by verse, we're going to jump through it. And we're going to unpack five heart truths. And that's the talk this morning, five heart truths. Uh, I have spent a lot of time trying to find something here that relates to our heart, but you don't have to look too far in this parable because the truth is it's all about the heart, as we will see. So why don't we turn together to Luke chapter 10, 25 to 36. I'm going to read this for us, and it will be up on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV. You might have noticed that I've been using the ESV of late. Um, And I'm going to read this, and then we're going to dive in together. Here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. (laughs) There was a lot of lawyers around. Can you imagine? You know, you fall over, a lawyer came. No win, no fee. I'm just joking. I'm sure it wasn't like that in those days. It might have been, you just don't know. 
Uh, anyway, I digress. I haven't got time to digress. Uh, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Or in other words, it's, what do I do to be saved? Or what do I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? What do I do to spend eternity with you? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. You see how this parable um, links in with what we've been looking at. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, this is the, the, uh, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with this. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was and when he saw him, he had compassion he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among, among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Lord, as I pray that as we go uh, study this together, you'll speak to our hearts, Lord Jesus. And just help me, Lord, I ask in your name. Amen. All right, let's look at this together. Let's start with verse 29. You see, it says here, which is a curious uh, line, but he desiring to justify himself. Why was a lawyer desiring to justify himself. You see, he asked that question, didn't he? Who is my neighbour? But here is the thing I want to say from the start. Who is my neighbour is the wrong question to ask. Why? Because the question implies the exclusion of some based on a certain criteria, doesn't it? Think about this. The motivation of the question by the lawyer wasn't to love more, it was to love less. The motivation for an answer from Jesus by the lawyer was to do the bare minimum to fulfill the law's requirements. That is why he was desiring to justify himself. He was a lawyer. I love lawyers, by the way. I hope you don't think I'm attacking lawyers. Here is the thing, you see, without love, the law is but a clanging gong, as Paul says. Acts, listen to this, acts devoid of love are always self-promoting and self-seeking. Acts devoid of love are always self-promoting and self-seeking. You see, love, the love that we've been looking at is that agape love, as we read about in the scriptures. It is love that puts others before yourself. And so here we have the question, who is my neighbour, is entirely the wrong question because it is not motivated by a heart of love. It is motivated in this instance by someone who is wanting to justify the bare minimum they can do to get into the kingdom of heaven. Not convinced? 
Well, what do we see at the end of this discourse? Jesus says to the man, verse 36, this is very interesting. You know, you can pick up on this. Which of these do you think proved to be his neighbor? Wait a minute, Jesus. I didn't ask you who proved to be his neighbor. I was asking who my neighbor is. Jesus was on to him. See, Jesus turned the question on his head. Rather than Jesus provide a criteria for the lawyer by which to define who his neighbor was, essentially Jesus was saying, you're asking the wrong question. Everyone is your neighbor. The real issue is an issue of your heart. And that brings me on to the first truth of our heart. The question exposes the heart. You see, the question really should be, for him and for us, how can I be a good neighbour to others? Not, who is my neighbour? You see, how you ask that question exposes your heart. And I feel really challenged. As I was studying this this week, I was properly challenged by the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't it good to know that your pastor has to... Who qualifies for my love? Let us, Let us ask, ask ourselves the question, who qualifies, what qualifies us to be a good neighbour? I'll say that again. Rather than ask, who qualifies to be my neighbour? Why don't we ask the question, what qualifies me to be a good neighbour? And this is what the part of the parable is about, you see. And I want to ask you a question. What question are you going to ask this morning? Who is my neighbour? Or how can I be a good neighbour to all? And that's the heart of it. Let's carry on, shall we? Let's keep moving on. Verse 31, 32. Let's read this together. Now, by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, by, passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place and saw him, passed by on the other side. <clears throat> Here we, we jump to, we get to the likely candidates, right, of being a good neighbour. The priest... And the Levite, you know, the priest was a descendant of Aaron. Aaron and Moses, you would have heard, remembered that story. And so all of the descendants of Aaron, you see, were priests in the temple of God. And the Levite was one of the assistants. Essentially, the, the Levites were the worship pastors. So you have a senior pastor and you have a worship pastor. There you go. Put it into modern vernacular. It makes it all kind of a bit personal all of a sudden, actually. <clears throat> a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Sam's not in the room, is he? Is he in the room? That's a worship pastor. And so Jesus used the two in this story as an example of people who surely would know what it means to be a good neighbour. You know, I love the way it says it. It says, now by chance. It's almost like, wow, not only did someone pass you by, but hey, good news, it's a priest. In fact, the message translation says it like this. Luckily, a priest was on his way. I think I might have to write an email to the message translation about that theology around luck, quite frankly, but... Anyway, you can keep reading the message. It's a good translation. Luckily, oh my word, if anyone was going to pass them by, thank goodness it's the senior pastor of the Vineyard Church, St. Albans. <laughs> oh boy, feeling pressure here right now. After all, not only are they supposed to be men who follow God, but equally they're a Jew as well. Wow, what are the odds of that? There's a Jew there, huh? and there's a Jew walking by. But what does it say? Pass by on the other side. Now, the path, by the way, from Jerusalem to Jericho, which is still there, there are, some mo there are parts where it's probably about this narrow. So literally, they would have had to done, done this. Oops, sorry, mate. 
just want to get past you. I know, it puts it in real graphic detail when you do it like that. It wasn't like, is there a Samaritan down there? I mean, a Jew, sorry. Is there a Jew that's beaten? No, I can't see. I need my glasses. No, it was, sorry, sorry. I know you're bruised and beaten and dying, but I've just got to get past you. That was the reality of what was going on. So any idea why they didn't help? I venture to guess that lots of people, if lots of people had been around, they would have helped. <gasps> Mark, are you judging the priest? I don't have to. Let's look at Jesus' own words when he rebuked the Pharisees. Matthew 23, verse 5. Talking about them, he said this. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Let's, can we understand this? The priest and the Levite and the Jew, sounds like a start of a joke, doesn't it? Which... <laughs> were travelling on this road because they would have gone up to Jerusalem for one of the, the Jewish feasts, okay? That's why. So on the way back, they would have come back from the, from the festival. Let's think about this. The priest probably would have been involved in the feast itself, the festival. He may have even quoted Deuteronomy where we talk about loving one's neighbour. And the, the worship pastor would have done some amazing worship and at the end of the festival, everyone was saying, we, I love our senior pastor and our worship pastor. They're amazing. Wow, that's such holy men of God. And it's in this context, right, that they all leave Jerusalem and they go. <laughs> and yet when it came to it, when no one was there, <laughs> the priest and the Levite, because there was no one to see their righteous acts, didn't do anything. And that leads me on to my second truth for today. What's not done in secret reveals the heart. What's not done in secret reveals the heart. Let's look at Luke 8, 17. It says this, For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed, and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Changes the way you think about what you do in secret, doesn't it? We'll all hold account for our works. I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. You can't earn your salvation through works. That doesn't mean, though, that there isn't a judgment of works. It's a doctrine of rewards. Now, what you don't do in secret reveals your heart, doesn't it? And we see this so plainly in this story. And this is, I was thinking about this. Have there been occasions when I could have done something, but no one was around, I thought, well, what's the point? Flip that on the other side. I have, sometimes I meet some of you in, in town, in Harpenden or St. Albans, and I love saying hello. Forgive me if I forgive your name sometimes. So many. But I'm like, if, if I saw you guys there, would that motivate me in a slightly different way to help someone than if no one was there? Do you want my honest answer? Possibly. Well, now you're looking at me bad, aren't you? But it's true, isn't it, for all of ourselves? I'm just trying to be transparent and open with you in terms of my walk. So I, my, I know it's a hard attitude. I try and I pray, Lord, I want to help whoever. Help me, Lord Jesus. So what we do not do in secret reveals our heart. Let's carry on with this story, shall we? Are you with me? Okay. How many have we truths have we had? And we've got three more and I've got ten minutes. You do the math. All right. Uh, oh, Jesus. You know, there is a scripture where Jesus stopped the sun and stopped time. Lord Jesus, would you do that again for us this morning? <laughs> All right, verse 33. Here we go. 
Cancel your lunch plans. We're staying here for good. Right. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Here we go, the unlikely candidate. We get to the Samaritan. And see, Jesus here, I love how Jesus uses extremes to make a point, doesn't he? Why was a Samaritan unlikely candidate? Well, here's the truth of it. Samaritans and Jews weren't friends. In fact, that's to put it mildly. They were enemies with each other. In fact, just to put you in the, in the place where these guys would have heard the story, they probably were thinking that the Samaritan was the one that beat up the Jew. It's true, because it's true to say that it was the Samaritans that oftentimes would get the Jews on the way back from the festivals. That's how crazy this story is when you think about it. Jesus is using someone that should have been the robber to be the one that actually was the good neighbour. Wow, I love how Jesus reveals truth, don't you? Jesus is so radical, honestly, it's brilliant. Where am I? I'm here. (laughs) You know, we've been celebrating communion, haven't we? Jesus died for us. It says, but while we were still sinners. Romans 5, 6, 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Jesus Jesus Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we have, here we are on Remembrance Sunday, remembering those brave men and women who laid down their lives for us that we may have freedom. And so when you live your life like Jesus, then the question is always about how can I be a better neighbour, not who is my neighbour. You see, who is my neighbour brings a criteria. And as soon as you start doing that, you start judging. And it says here he had compassion What does that mean? Compassion isn't just a feeling. Compassion is an action word. Compassion doesn't seek to be justified and measured by criteria. You know, we we have a staff meeting every week. We meet daily to pray, but we had a particular staff meeting and we have worship and Emma Bluston actually brought a word for us and she was talking about compassion. And I love the line she brought. She said, compassion doesn't judge their journey. And I love that. Compassion doesn't judge someone's journey. Compassion doesn't, you don't get compassion and then look at a criteria to see whether they justify your compassion or not. You see, compassion is an action word. Compassion, and this brings me to my third point, third truth. Compassion is an outworking of the heart. And may I add, fueled by mercy. If we want to be like Jesus, then shall we have a look at how Jesus died for us? Because I rather think that's a rather good model for how we are to be good neighbours to others. Did Jesus have a criteria for us? Thank goodness he didn't. I'm sure you would all be here, but I certainly wouldn't. (laughs) Compassion is an outworking of the heart. Let's move on. Verse 34 to 35. What does he do? I love what the Samaritan does. Let's read this. He says this. But when the Pharisees heard, is that where I want to be? Yeah. No, we're going to go back to here. That's right. And so what he did was he gave everything he had, didn't he? He, he had some money. He used that. He had his animal that he was riding on. He let him go onto the animal. Beaten up and bruised, you have my animal. He bandaged him. Whatever was in his hand, he used. An act of kindness. And I think, conversely, as we've looked at the fact that there was no one around... 
And as I talked about what's not done in secret, the other truth is what's done in secret reflects the treasures of your heart. You see, what was in this man's heart? He wasn't looking for the praise of men as the Pharisees were. He didn't care who was around, but he gave what he had. (coughs) You know, where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Did you know that? It's not where your heart is, your treasure is. Where you treasure, what you treasure up is where your heart will lead you to and take you to. Did you know that? Let's read Jesus' words, Matthew um, 6, 19 to 21. And this was in the context of another discourse where Jesus was saying to the Pharisees, hey, you know what, you're doing that in public for the praise of man. Well, that's what, if that's what you want to do, that's what your treasure is. And so Jesus says this, do not lay out for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. I want to ask you a question. Where is your treasure right now? Are you seeking to build up the praises of man, the accolades of man and the riches of this world? Because if that is where your focus, that is where your treasure is, your heart will lead you in that place. And you can can end up like a Pharisee. But if we recognise that we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth cannot destroy, then that is what leads our heart, irrespective of who is around. And as I bring this plane to land and invite the band up, as we look at the fifth point, He used what he had. Sacrificial giving comes from an overflow of our hearts. He sacrificed. It meant that he couldn't write on the animal. It meant that he gave two denarii and he didn't have that. That was two days wages. Two days wages he gave. That was a sacrifice. When compassion moves us in order that we can act on it, The opportunity then is to give sacrificially. And that is what we see in this parable. I remember of the the widow, the widow's mite, in Luke 21. Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into their offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins, and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all contributed out of their abundance but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. That is love. That is the challenge of a radical love that Jesus has shown for each one of us. That we give not out of our abundance, but we give out of what we have. That that we give out a sacrifice. Why? Because out of an overflow of love and out of an overflow of the love that we first received from him. And so... I know there's a lot of content there. I've done that deliberately because I want you to take some of that and meditate and think about it during the week. As way of a summary, here's the five truths. The question you ask exposes the heart. What are you going to ask this morning? Who is my neighbour? Or how can I be a good neighbour to all others? Two, what's not done in secret reveals the heart. What do you not do in secret because people aren't around? Number three, compassion is an outworking of the heart and I'll add, fueled by mercy. Number four, what's done in secret reflects the treasures of the heart. Where is your treasures this morning? And number five, sacrificial giving flows from an overflow of the heart.
And with that, I'd like you to stand as I pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. The love, Lord, that you showed each one of us is just so utterly radical and counterculture that it is easy for us sometimes to just skim over it and thinking it's just some other kind of love. But the truth is, is that your love is a life-changing, eternally saving love. And you have caused each one of us to walk in that love, to receive that love. And in return, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our mind and with all of our soul. My prayer for us as a people here in St. Albans Vineyard is that we would be able to say we are a people that loves you, Lord, with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mind. Because it is in that place that we can love ourselves as you call us. And it is in that place from the overflow of your love that we can love our neighbour as you have called us to. I thank you, Lord, for these past nine weeks and a bit that we have spent on this that we would see the fruit in our everyday, that we wouldn't just chalk it down as a great series, wasn't there some interesting things, but we would reflect on a life-changing moment that meant we walked deeper with you in more intimacy, that we experienced you in a fresh way, that we saw ourselves as you see us, not as the world would want to see us, and that we changed the world around us by being your hands and feet, If you want to respond and say at the end of this series, yes, I want to see a change in my life, then just just put your hand on your heart as a symbol to God to say, that's me. Because I want to give you an opportunity to respond. You know, when you come in this building, you should leave differently. Otherwise, what's the point? God is in in the business of conforming us to the likeness of Jesus. And it is in His presence that He does that. As we join together in praise and worship, as we hear His Word, life-changing Word that brings truth and freedom. So if you want to respond to this Word and this love series and say, I want to experience all you have for me, Lord, and extend it, then put your hand on your chest and I'm going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I want to pray for everyone in the room and indeed those online who are watching on the Sunday morning at home. So for all of us, Lord, who are saying yes to you, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would come now, Lord God. Pour out your love in abundance, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Wash away the hurt. Wash away the pain. Wash away the bitterness and the shame. Wash away the guilt. Wash away the unforgiveness. Wash away the fear. Wash it away, Lord God. And I prophesy of you now. That your next steps are steps of love. That you will experience something new and fresh and deep that hitherto you have yet to experience. I say to you now that as you seek his face, as you desire that one thing, that he will respond in love. 
that as you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. Thank you, Jesus. Let us worship together.